0: Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for You Anytime, Anywhere. Today is Monday, June the 21st, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God, and we ask for the Holy Spirit to help us put on our Christ goggles as we study 2 Kings chapter 14. In chapter 13, we lost the prophet Elisha, which brought a certain amount of grief as we look at his story, his life after Elijah goes to heaven. He takes over and the Lord uses him in powerful ways for the kings, for his people, providing what was needed and also pointing them back to the Lord. And here today we hear of a Lord who is gracious and compassionate. At times it's hard to see that, but today we see it once again. And will the Lord continue to be compassionate? And will Israel make a comeback? They're kind of not in a great spot at this point, but we'll find out this morning. The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage, for, Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of thy strong word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information. lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's word, we welcome Pastor Peter Burfind of Agnes Dei Lutheran Church in Marshall, Michigan, and Our Savior Lutheran Church in Union City, Michigan. And also, he serves as a chaplain for the U.S. Army. Also, I wanted to say this too a book that I just recently read, the author of the book called Gnostic America. Pastor Burfind, welcome back to Thy Strong Word.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Pastor. Glad to be on again.
0: Yeah, great, uh, Pastor Burfine. Tell us what's happening for you, uh, your family, and the work of the Saints at in Marshall and Union City.
1: Well, we're just as busy as ever. Uh, we we stayed open all last year, and and uh, that, that I think that was uh, ultimately a blessing for us. And uh, now we're just kind of coasting into summer. We're in the middle of our VBS time, and mm. and I'm actually looking forward to getting a bit of a break from from, from a lot of the things. But that's where we're at. You
0: know, it, it, this is a question I have is, is in Minnesota, what happens is you hit Memorial Day and everyone just runs like it's like a sprint um, until Labor Day and maybe even a few weeks after Labor Day. They just they run to lakes, they run out of the state, they run here. How, what's it like in Michigan? Is it similar?
1: It's it's, it's a bit of a yeah, we get a lot of the travelers that, that, that during that time. It's not much of a vacation. It's kind of a vacation. area. In in the area that we're at So we get a few uh, Of the snowbirds are back for summer That's good to see
0: Yeah, exactly. And they love being called snowbirds, by the way. I know that for sure, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Anyways, (laughs) well, Pastor, last time we were together was in January, and so obviously a little different context for us Northerners. But it's the same Word of God, and we're in the Old Testament, which has been quite challenging. But as we look at any part of Scripture, we want to see Jesus. And so can you pray for us this morning that the Lord and the Holy Spirit would lead
1: us? Absolutely. Let's begin In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, by your will, nations rise and fall. Grant from our study today that we might take comfort in your providential care for your people, knowing that you are our Father, who loves us and chastens us according to your merciful intent. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.
0: Amen. Pastor Burfield, uh, Bur Burfine, excuse me, Burfind is as we look at chapter fourteen. I'm I'm realizing every time that we get through these chapters, I I call this the dog days of 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 Second Kings. (laughs) It it can kind of drag, but also there's so many gems. So, what kind of uh, a background do you want to show us from what leads us up to chapter fourteen to help us start off on the right foot today? All
1: right, so you got you got several. Political or geopolitical things going on. Let's just first talk about the basic context. Israel is at this point a divided nation. Uh, Judah is in the South and Israel is in the North. Um, Judah is in the middle of a, of a reign of four God approved Kings. And we can talk about that later, but Mm -hmm. Kings that aren't evil to their core, but they're not, they're not as great as David, but they're, they're uh, you know, they're, they're not called bad. They're actually called, you know, somewhat good. Um, interestingly enough, a couple of them are not listed in Matthew's genealogy mm. in the gospel of Matthew. And we can talk about that. That's an, that's an interesting topic. So this is a period of these four Kings who are God approved, but yet not as good as David. And a couple of them aren't in Matthew's genealogy. And right. meanwhile, in the, in the Northern kingdom, you do have this resurgence by, uh, the, the you kind of have Israel kind of has a flare before a fizzle. Israel has been has been tormented by Syria to the north and the Assyrians a little bit and due to a variety of circumstances they were weakened Assyrian, Assyria and Syria were weakened and there and during that period Israel kind of filled in the gap and you got the, uh, the King Jeho- uh, Jehoash and Jeroboam who who have a who, who have quite a bit of success but it's that success that instigates some of the northern prophets preaching against their luxury and their, you know, kind of getting, you know, forgetting about God in the midst of all their success. So that's a very interesting time. In fact, so that's point number one I wanted to say about the world context. Israel is a divided nation, Judah and Israel. Um, two, the major uh, uh, imperial power at the time was Assyria. And Syria, during this time of chapter 14, it, or Assyria, Assyria, mm-hmm. is in this period of time between the two great leaders, Shalmaneser and Tiglath Pileser. Right, mm-hmm. Shalmaneser antagonized Northern Israel um, a couple uh, decades prior to this period, and Tiglath Pileser, of course, was the one that ultimately uh, led Israel uh, into captivity and, and ended the Northern Empire. So Assyria at this time is a is a weak player. On, on the on the international scene, Egypt was weak, and they were actually taken over by a Nubian uh, king Hai or P- P- I don't know how to pronounce that. Um, <laughs> but uh, so you got these three leaders in Assyria that that are very weak, um, and then final, oh, and then I wanted to talk oh, Syria at this time, Syria was always antagonizing Israel in the north, and said the main instigator of that was King Hazael who, you know just. W- w- was chipping away at Israel's land and constantly causing problems for them. But, but then Assyria attacked them, and, and Haziol was engaged in that, and during that time, they Syria kind of ceased to be a problem. And while they were weak, that's when Jeroboam uh, took them over and retook the Damascus, actually. Now, what's really interesting about this period, and, and I think this is one of the more significant details of this period we're in, is right now we really have what we could call the beginning of the age of the prophets. So if you look at, I mean, when we think of the prophets, we just kind of think of, you know, oh yeah, the prophets, they were in the Old Testament. And you can you have to name them, you think Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, Jonah, and you kind of lose track of where they fit on the timeline. But if mm-hmm. you place it on the timeline, it's really interesting. So in Israelite history, you got the, the early period, of Moses of course was a prophet, and then during the age of the monarchy, you have David, or Saul, David, and Solomon. You had Nathan the prophet, and then you had Samuel the prophet. Those are kind of the main prophets. And then the next stage was was after the divided kingdom, and, and we just got the end of this. You had Elijah and Elisha. Now, these prophets, they, they kind of dealt with individual kings and dealt with individual issues, but it was only when when in our period that we're, we're beginning right today in, in chapter 14 that you started getting um, the prophets that whose, whose works find their way in Scripture. And, there, and there's a change in tone of what the prophets were doing, whereas Samuel, Nathan, Elijah, and Elisha dealt with kind of specific issues with the king. Now you, you first get Jonah and Amos and Hosea. You get Isaiah becomes prophet in the reign of Uzziah in, in the southern kingdom Micah. and Micah. And their whole message was a little different. They addressed Israel as a nation. They, they addressed Israel as having collective guilt for their for their sins. Um, these were the first times the, prophet, the prophets' messages are written down. Mm. Um, they they often preach, you know, Amos especially and Hosea were northern uh, prophets who preached against uh, the the luxury that that came as a result of the successes of Jeroboam. They so read Amos and you know, and, and Hosea, Hosea, and they just like, you know, you were idle and you were lazy and you, you know, you weren't, you, you were, you weren't uh, taking care of the poor. You know I mean? All these, all these issues were, were predominant in, in Northern Israel. And, and that's when they, when the age of the prophets arose. So, so this is, I think that's a kind of a neat detail of, of this, you know, kind of, we're in the weeds of, of these books, as you say, but one of the interesting stories that that's happening right now is the rise of of the prophets whose messages were ultimately written down in the in the prophets.
0: And that is so helpful because it's so easy to try to read the Bible and we do this in our reading programs, you know, Genesis to Revelation it must have like started in in 0 or uh, you know 44 4400 mm-hmm. BC and then it just went to 100 AD and everything just kind of went in order. Well, that's part of the reason why people get confused is because we haven't lined this up well, and part of it is because we don't understand it well. And, yeah, you do hear that. You have Jeroboam is there, and right in the midst of that, you have Amos written. Um, You have Isaiah shows up a little bit later in 2 Kings. Now, just because I'm a naive guy, are you saying today, when we talk about Jonah, we're talking about the real Jonah that we talk about as kids?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you start to get the background of, of Assyria was kind of weakened during this period. And because they were weakened, and, and also this is an I ran across of my studies, there was a major earthquake in the middle of Jeroboam's reign. There was a major famine. And then and there was an eclipse. So all these things combined with Assyria's weakness, Nineveh was in a, was in a position, Nineveh was a major city in, in uh, Assyria. They, they were having some, uh, you might say, confidence issues. <laughs> you know, because of all this stuff going on. And then and, and so Jonah goes up there and, and, and it's also interesting. One of the commentaries I was reading of, of, why did Jonah at first not want to go up to Nineveh? And he was kind of reflecting the age or, or his, his political circumstances where you, know, you think Jeroboam is just like kicking butt. He's extending uh, the borders of Northern Israel to the, to where Solomon had had them. So he's just kicking butt left and right. And then Jonah lives in that and he's doing his job, but he's kind of enjoying it. And he's kind of thinking, like, hey, Israel's pretty awesome. You know, he's he's got a, a, a heightened confidence. And then God says, Hey, go talk to, you know, these this empire that's an aging empire that's dying and struggling and go tell them they need to repent. And he's like, No. And that stinginess on the part of of Jonah reflected the stinginess that was going on in northern Israel. They weren't they weren't uh they weren't taking care of their poor, they weren't, they weren't, you know, however you want to put it, but justice, you know, like let justice flow down, you know, mm. that, that was that, that era. So yeah, it's very interesting to see the geopolitical circumstances behind the prophet's message. And
0: this is very similar to when we read the book of Acts. And then if you're able to see when he goes to Galatia or when he goes to, uh, the Thessalonians or Berea and to Corinth, then you're able to read and see the context and able to read those epistles. Um, like, once again, we kind of plow through it as opposed to seeing much of that culture and context that is there. And even then, and this is what I love about how I hear in your voice, like, wow, look at this. This is very really fascinating. Um, you've been in the word of God for quite a while. I've been in it for quite a while. And for us, it's like, wait, Jonah's in here. How'd he get in here? How do you get in there? You know, that kind of thing. And so we're always yeah. learning. There's so, it's a big book. There's always more to learn, and there's always more Jesus to find as well. Any right, other thoughts on right. the context here, Pastor, before we begin?
1: Oh, no, I think I, I covered it there. I just wanted to give the world context, and, and pretty much like I, I guess in general we could say that Israel and Judah were having a reprieve from the, from the imperial powers, sure. and, and so they were able to have some success. I think that in general is and sort of the story going
0: on here. Very helpful. Very helpful. So let's let's begin. Open up your Bibles and let's go. Reminder to our listeners: We'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture, Second Kings, chapter fourteen, and we will read the first six verses. In the second year of Joash, the son of Joahaz, king of Israel, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord Yahweh, yet not like David his father. He did all things as Joash's father had done, but the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And as soon as the royal power was firmly in his hand, he struck down his servants who had struck down the king, his father. But he did not put to death the children of the murderers, according to what was written in the book of the law of Moses, where the Lord Yahweh commanded, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor children be put to death because of their fathers. But each one shall die for his own sin. Now, once again, um, I found this interesting, is that one of our guests talked about how not only... Um, does the sin start to look the same in Judah and Israel, but even the names start to look the same. <laughs> which I, That was really funny as you read through it. But So tell us what's happening here in these first six verses of chapter 14.
1: So so Joash, again, is, is uh, he did right in the sight of the Lord, and, and that essentially is shorthand for he centered worship in the temple. Mm. He, he, he got the temple. He didn't blatantly... Like some of the previous kings who were called evil, just cut off the, the the temple worship and destroy the temple. I mean, his his father was the one that was involved in the renovation of the temple and and uh, you know in, in in restoring the temple worship. So every, so like David, he 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 had that righteous righteous element. So he, he his final verdict is he's right in the sight of the Lord. Yet not like his father David. He did everything as his father had done. So how was he not like his father, David? Well, his father, David, um, was committed completely to the Lord in heart, mind, and soul. He had none of these high places thing going on. Okay. And that, that's, well, that, that was his weakness. However, the high places were not taken away and the people still sacrificed and for an incense on the altar. Um, so there's a couple points I, I thought of as I went over that. Number one is, I mean, think of David. David committed adultery, um, killed someone which is breaking two commandments, mm-hmm. there's no mention that, that Amaziah did any of this. Did I get that right? Amaziah? Yeah, Amaziah. Mm-hmm. We're in Amaziah, right? Yep. Um, there's, no, there's, no, there's no suggestion that he did any of that, but yet he was ranked lower than David because of his breaking of the first table, of the, of the first three commandments. And I find that significant. Um, all sins can be forgiven, like Jesus said. And even in the Old Testament, the, the breaches against the second table, the, the fourth through the through the 10th commandments, the Lord has forgiveness for those. There's sacrifice for that. But the thing that really gets them upset is when people undermine the first three commandments, which have to do with him and, and our relationship with him, our worship of him, our observation of his His laws and, and being faithful to him. Yeah. So Amaziah keeps on the temple worship, but because of these high in other words, in, in God's ranking system, adultery and murder are not as bad as this worship against the high places. I find that very interesting because that gets into the spirituality. Now, what was going on with these high places? These high places were where the earth goddess of Canaan was worshipped. Mm. And boy, that's a whole Bible study on its own, it is. what's going on there. But. But that, but that's, a, it's, a, it's actually a fascinating topic. It's, you know, it's, it's the Asherah poles. It's the, uh, the fertility cult that went on. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that, you know, I've written a book on Gnosticism and, and really this is ultimately a Gnostic type of cult. And it has to do with, you know, you call it a fertility cult and we talk about, you know, sacred prostitution and sacred male prostitution and there's some real wacky things going on. The, the sacrifice of children, the passing of the children through the flame is all part of this. But really, I mean, I've one of the commentaries I read, it, it said, you know, they call it a cult, a fertility cult. But really, it's a philosophy. It's a philosophy of life. It's a it's a whole system of thought. Mm. It wasn't just a bunch of crazy bad people doing crazy bad stuff. I mean, that's ultimately what it was. But there's actually something going on behind this. And what it is, it's ultimately people wanting to return to I'm not going say this gets really involved, but people wanting to return to the oneness from which they came and believing that they're participating in this ritually will further the, the fertilization of the earth. Sure, And so it, 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 it's about the disillusion of, of our very being going hand in hand with the, the rebirth of, of the creation. And and if you really get into it, it's, it's very fascinating, but, um, We got the same thing going on today. That's the bottom line. Um, These these cults practice dismemberment, castration, -castration, self-castration, kind of like the transgenderism movement. They practice ritualistic homosexuality. Um, We we still have these things. We still have these pagan ideas because they come from deep within the, the human psyche. And you know, to the extent that people still dabble in these things today the Lord will look at them and say, hey, yeah, you're pretty good. You never killed anybody, never committed adultery, but you dabbled in these pagan ideas that were out in society. And for that, you're a few notches down from where you could be.
0: <laughs> and I think how you how you put that in simplistic understanding of the Ten Commandments is that mm-hmm. we are not saying that when a father or a mother commits adultery that that does not have severe consequences It does. Um, When you murder someone, clearly that has severe consequences. But those can be forgiven. Um, But when you are desecrating the Lord, when it says high places, it's fascinating too. I remember talking with this. Last week with Pastor Tice on chapter twelve, it says the same thing. High places is mentioned majority of the time in first and second Kings, and it's to represent these places that they would have sacrifices, which at first you're like, mm-hmm. High places must be a good place, you know, must be like my local yeah. Lutheran church as, you know, on the mountain or something. But no, this was where they would possibly worship Yahweh. Uh, maybe make a sacrifice, a guilt offering, or well, I don't know what they would do exactly. But at the same time, they would kind of cover all their bases and say, okay, well, we'll, we'll just kind of yeah. add this one over here and this one over there, which it seems like a small thing uh, compared to adultery. But it's totally you not uh, fear, love, and trusting in God above all things. It's totally you saying, God's not quite good enough, so I got to add my own stuff, which is right. the ultimate lack of faith. So, yeah, this yeah, is a of self. Right, We're, yeah, I'm going to add to this salvation, which is so easy, which, you know, I encourage our listeners and and uh, us as pastors and us as people is, is, you know, hey, we need to, every day is a day of, of repentance, because the Lord knows that we try to insert ourselves into this faith thing all the time. So, Pastor, any other thoughts in these first nine verses, or six verses? Excuse well,
1: me. just, I mean, just to, to piggyback on what you said about, about adultery and murder, I mean, Dave, David, if anybody, learned that, that there are consequences for adultery and murder. I mean, he lost mm-hmm. his first son and, and his kingdom essentially became divided because of it. Um, you know, so yeah, there's there's all sorts of consequences for these things, but yet in, in God's estimation, when he's looking over the life of someone, you know, our whole faith, right? God credits our faith in him as our righteousness. Um, you know, David did that, whereas Amaziah uh, didn't. Right. <laughs> he kind of had this this element of paganism going on. And, and for that reason, he, he was not in the same level as David.
0: And we have a, a unique situation when you go through uh, Second Kings especially, or the Kings, uh, First and Second Kings, is that you have, uh, it always seems there is a, um, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord Yahweh, um, except mm-hmm. <laughs> you have a lot yeah. of that where, He didn't destroy all the Baal prophets or didn't destroy all the Baal altars or the Asherah is mentioned, and then the high places are mentioned numerous occasions. And so that kind of, I know that relates, and you've you've touched on this. That relates to our lives as well. I fully trust in God, but there's just a few idols I want to hold on to. Any thoughts on that in ministry and the Christian life?
1: Well, that's exactly it. And and when we talk about the Northern Kingdom a little bit, and talk about Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and his sins. Mm-hmm. It, it it is an interesting thing. to get a blend. I mean, God will still God supported Jehu and his his bloody purge of of the previous uh, dynasty, but and and you know he was zealous for the Lord, but yet he didn't end the worship of the uh, a Dan and Bethel of the of the gold, of the calves there. And for that reason, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how the how that ends up in the estimation and final judgment. I'm glad that. That's God's job, not mine. But mm-hmm. you know these guys are are kind of like good, but you know they're good, but they still did this evil, and the evil always breaks down to, um, they they disconnected from the worship forms that the Lord had set up in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. You know they, that the Lord set up the forms of worship, the formal things that you do to worship Him, and when they broke from that, that that's when all hell broke out, and and the Lord had to had to send prophets and punishments to to stop that
0: so as you look at these verses I wanted to touch on one thing here pastor at the end of our mm -hmm. verses verse 6 it says um, that he put away so he struck down those who murdered his father which was good and then it just adds this book of the law of Moses I believe it's from Deuteronomy 24 where it says but they didn't murder the kids any thoughts on that last verse and what that means or why was that inserted in that way any thoughts
1: yeah, that kind of pops out, doesn't it? it it's uh, it definitely is not part of the culture of the day. In fact, there's other like like we talked about jehu I mean, he just went ham on everybody up there and murdered everybody he came across. <laughs> and that was not God's will, by the way. God oh. told him to kill a certain lot of people, not everybody. But that was that was the culture. I mean, you when when a new regime came in or a new dynasty, you would have tra- killed all trace of the other dynasty until so, totally eliminated. And God is something different. God is, uh, you know, he's, he's God. He's, he's, he's merciful and, and good. And he, one of the principles is that, is that uh, uh, the father, the sons do not pay for the sins of the fathers or the fathers for the sins of the sons. And, and the way I, I kind of summarize that I concept is that, number one, God's religion really is countercultural. He doesn't, he doesn't do things the way everybody else does. And Number two, I thought this is really neat. Genetics is not destiny. In the Bible, genetics is not destiny. Oh. It doesn't matter that someone came from a bad family, and and we shouldn't judge that person based on what happened with their father. That that's wrong to do that, according to God's word. Um, family is extremely important in the Bible, but it's not godlike. Family is not, you know, there, there is a higher law than the. than the the father so the the chance that a son can be redeemed and be used for good is is definitely something that the, the bible grants that's a
0: great quote i would encourage our listeners to write that down genetics is not destiny because too often we speak about that in faith oh my grandpa went to church or, you know, mm-hmm. mom and dad are faithful Christians. And then, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, well, oh yeah, that's good. And there are also, you'll say, well, they're part of that family lineage. It just seems to follow them. And it, yeah. it totally is not that because whenever it talks about these kings, it says he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it doesn't say because of their father, not because of their family, um, just like their father or Ahab or whoever. But it doesn't say because of, it always says just like. Right. Which is fascinating, but Pastor, right now I want to I want to run with that one, but we can't. We need to take our break. We are studying Second Kings chapter fourteen with Pastor Peter Burfind, and we'll be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org all uh-huh. right. And welcome back. We are studying Second Kings chapter 14 with Pastor Peter Burfind, And we, boy, I don't know, we might not be able to get through the chapter the way we're going right now, but there's so <laughs> much to unpack, and it makes you realize how much the Word of God applies even to today. So, Pastor, I just want to give you right. one last opportunity before we have to plow through quite a bit here. But those first six verses tell us a lot. Any last thoughts that you have before we move on?
1: No, go ahead. We got we got less to. It sounds ahead.
0: <laughs> That's right. Verses seven through ten. He, who would be uh, see, Amaziah, struck down ten thousand Edomites in the valley of Salt and took Selah by storm and called it Jokthiel, which is its name to this day. Then Amaziah sent messengers to Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, son of Jehu, king of Israel, saying, Come, let us look at one another in the face. And Jehoash, king of Israel, sent word to Amaziah, king of Judah, a thistle on Lebanon sent to a cedar on Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passes by and trampled down the thistle. You have indeed struck down Edom, and your heart has lifted you up. Be content with your glory and stay at home, for why should you provoke trouble so that you fall? You and Judah with you? So, He gets a parable in here, kind of a surprising Mm -hmm. one, but he, you know, kind of Amaziah is, he's convinced that he can take on the world. He took on the Edomites and boom. And now, you know what, let's go after these other guys. Let's look at them face to face, man to man, and explain (laughs) what happens. And maybe you have a good way to interpret this parable. What do you think?
1: Well, just the, the whole situation here. I mean, it's, first off, it's interesting and you know, the Bible gives these very interesting character studies of people. I just, I find that always very interesting. You can totally see that. But I want to, I do want to talk about something because God put it in his heart to do this. We learned this from uh, First Chronicles 25. God put it in his heart and I want to talk about that for a second. Ah. But let's just look at the Edom. Edom is kind of a sad, a sad chapter in biblical history. Edom is the children of Esau. Mm-hmm. Esau, if you remember his whole story got kind of deceived out of out of the father's right but edom were were his children uh and throughout their history they kind of have this sense of being angry at israel just like esau was angry at, at jacob edom is angry at israel because of just whatever they're like jealous or whatever they're kind of mountain people maybe maybe a little bit of hickey hicks kind of a little bit of sense of that and uh when Israel was passing through Sinai and wanted to go into Israel, Edom said, "No, you got to go around us." <laughs> That's right. That's so right. So that, that delayed their entire entrance into Israel by several years. So then, and then later, David's general Joab went in and just slaughtered ten thousand of them. Um, during this period, I believe, I think, is, uh, Edom is not ruled by a king but by a regent, and their, because their king Hadad had escaped to Egypt. But, anyways, eventually they get wiped off the map. Um, and in the Book of Amos, actually, which is chronologically is coming up pretty soon, when Israel, when when Judah was taken off in the captivity, the Edomites stood by and said, "Serves your right," you know. Uh, and for yeah, that reason, yeah. God said, "I forgot about that." Yeah, God said, "You're you're done." You know, we're uh, we're done with you. Your, your anger for 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 Jacob never ended, and for that reason, you're going to be wiped off the earth. So that's that's oh the story. Beat him,
0: yeah. So from there, um, he beats him. I mean, maybe this wasn't that impressive, or maybe it was. And as you said, you said a little bit about Second Chronicles. So tell tell us about what yeah. what is the insight you have in Second Chronicles? I believe chapter twenty five. Okay. You're saying, yep. Okay.
1: So 25. so Amaziah goes down to Edom, and and he's it, it, real dumb. I mean, he's just, you get the sense of this character that you know. Which gets back to that whole thing. But he kept his temple worship going. So that that makes him good. But he's kind of a dumb ruler. So he takes over Edom. And what did he do? He takes other gods. And one of the prophets, a man of God comes to him and says, Why are you going after their gods? Their gods didn't protect them. (laughs) Now you're going to take their gods. Right. You know, why why would you take these ideas from a neighboring culture that were so successful for them that they failed them? Mm-hmm. So, but he takes these gods and he brings them back to, to Israel and this takes off God. So it says that God put it into his heart to get all cocky and confident with, uh, Jehoash. Right? Yeah, Jehoash mm-hmm. in northern Israel and to kind of pick a fight with this, this guy. And Jehoash basically says, you don't want to, you don't want to make this fight. You're going to lose. You're going to lose big. It's not going to be pretty. You don't want to pick a fight with me. You not going to one of those. And uh, Amaziah is like, no, we're going to, we're going to fight. Let's go. Let's go. I just beat him. I'm going to beat you too now. And Chronicles informs us that God put it in his heart to do that. Wow. And what I find fascinating about that in terms of application for today is that we oftentimes wonder, you know, where do these motives come from? Where, you know, with China or or modern day Syria and uh, where was there, Israel and, and Hamas and all this like, how, what's, who's putting it into the people's hearts to do this? And we, there's, a, there's a cool little passage from Revelation 17. Revelation 17, verse 17. And it's a very momentous time in divine cosmic history. It's when, when all the kings of the world give their crowns to the Antichrist. And, you know, this is a moment that Christians are terrified of. And, oh, this is going to be awful for the church. And this is bad. And we should try to prevent that as much as we can. Revelation seventeen seventeen says that God puts it into the king's hearts to do these things. So, so God is definitely behind the scenes working all these things for a reason, even the bad things. I mean, think about what, so if you follow the rest of this story, God puts it into Amaziah's heart, heart to attack Jehoash. Jehoash comes down and just smokes them, goes all the way to Jerusalem, destroys some of the walls, takes ransacks the temple, plunders the temple. God knew all this was going to happen. In fact, he put it into action for it to happen. God knew that these people were going to come and plunder his house, and yet he was behind that because he's got something bigger in mind. And that, that should give us comfort to know that God is also in in control. And Sometimes he chastens us. He chastens us, and we need to know that, that this is God's orchestration going on.
0: Now tell us a little bit about the – and that's very helpful because I've, I've tried to do this. I thought to myself – today that how great would it be if we just had a bible study on first second kings first second chronicles and just plow through the whole thing well that would take all year and that's why it's such a difficult thing to do but it definitely clarifies things and as you said that the the lord led him to go to this place uh and and kind of like the holy spirit led jesus out into the wilderness is that god does this and it's for the good of good of us to see god at work and to bring repentance to our hearts and also to once again point us to the true gospel so Definitely, God has good in store, but yet it's sometimes hard to see that. Now, to take a step right. back, he has His parable. Um, and I want to read yeah. it too, and I just want to hear how you would explain this, because I love parables, so I love it when people explain mm-hmm. them. Verse 9, a thistle on Lebanon. So this is Joash talking to Amaziah. A thistle on Lebanon sent to a cedar on Lebanon, saying, Give your daughter to my son for a wife. And a wild beast of Lebanon passed by and trampled down the thistle. Um, So that's kind of the parable. Any thoughts on what he's saying here?
1: Yeah, I looked at that and I was trying to hear Some of these parables in the Bible are are strange, at least. (laughs) I am thinking that the thistle is Amaziah, right? Is that kind of your? Yep, yep. The thistle is in Amaziah and he's getting cocky and talking to a cedar, which is a beautiful, powerful tree, and saying, hey, you know, let's, let's unite our kingdom. Yeah. Right. That's what happens when you give your daughter to to your son as the wife, you're basically uniting your kingdom. And, uh, <laughs> and then a the wild beast that was in Lebanon. And, and I'm wondering if what's going on behind this is, uh, Judah is trying to unite with maybe Syria. Sure.
0: Sure. Something like that. Did you, did
1: mm-hmm. you read that? Or, you I know, think you so. Me?
0: Yeah. Again, that's the part bio? that confuses me, you know, and that's the part that confuses me, but, um, Yeah. I don't know. I, I I'm going to go with a hearty. I don't know if someone, if any of our <laughs> listeners really want to get to that second part, but we do know that obviously, um, that the thistle is going to be destroyed because they're talking to a beautiful cedar that can obviously destroy them. And uh, right. now and now you're you're testing it, and the reality is that we're not destroying you. You're basically destroying yourself. Is kind of something I was reading in it right, as well. Right. And so yeah, if anybody has an insight, we've been getting a lot of great emails lately, kind of just clarifying things for us. As I say. Uh, the greatest theologians on the air right here on KFUO. So um, help us out here as well. So, uh, uh, Pastor, anything else in those verses before we move on?
1: Oh, this the, the picture you get of Jehoiach, king of Israel, is, is a capable king. You know, he kind of is acting the part of the more mature, you know, seasoned king saying, you don't want to pick a fight with me. <laughs> and Amaziah, definitely get a picture of just sort of this, you know,
0: Official. <laughs> right, right. And it's kind of ironic just because Jehoash was seven when he started reigning. Um right, but this right. goes into the importance of mentoring. You who was the one that was by his side all those years was Jehoiada. Yeah, you're the right priest. There. And so yeah. you definitely have that understanding of um of of the mentoring that we see that in our own lives, the importance of having faithful mentors in our lives that will kind of steer us in the right direction. And you definitely see that in Joe so, Ash.
1: Can I correct you online? What's that? <laughs> On What's that? You, you said Joash was, you were talking about the father of Amaziah. Who is, who is, uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, yeah. This correct me Boash online. Please. Of Israel. Yeah. Right. Right. What's that?
0: I, please do correct me. I, I was wrong. Okay. You're right. You're right.
1: So this is Jehoash king of Israel, and, and I think he was mentored, I think, by Elisha. So, this, so he would right. have been the one guiding him. Good and call. And you have to remember this from the text. When, when, when Elisha, I mean, you, you did this in your last uh, show, but when Elisha was about to die, I think it was Jehoash who, who cried out the same thing that Elisha cried out after Elisha. Absolutely. My father, my father, the, the chariots yep. of Israel. But Yep. So that was Jehoash of, of Israel.
0: Oh, man, I I, I yeah, my mind is all over the place. But, yes, same name, though. I got the name right. You know, I got that part I know. Right, that's so. what gets little really confusing. <laughs> ah, I love it. I love it. Thank you, Pastor, and, and greatest theologians on air on, as our guest as well. So let's keep moving on here, 11 through 14. 11 through 14. But Amaziah would not listen. Oh, there it is. Uh, <laughs> so Jehoash, yeah. king of Israel, went up, and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another in battle at Beth Shemesh which belongs to Judah. And Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his home. And Jehoash king of Israel captured Amaziah king of Judah and son of Jehoash, son of Ahaziah, at Beth Shemesh, and came to Jerusalem and broke down the wall of Jerusalem for 400 cubits from the Ephraim gate to the corner gate. And he sees all the gold and silver and all the vessels that were found in the house of Yahweh and in the treasuries of the king's house, also hostages. And he returned to Samaria. So, uh, you know, Amaziah is, is excited to get into this battle. Jehoash says, all right, here we go. And what happens in this battle?
1: (laughs) He gets, he gets decimated. It's destroyed. Judah, Jerusalem gets plundered. The walls get ransacked. Um, and, and again, to me, it's just, you know, just God put it, puts it into his heart, knowing that this is going to result in his own house getting ransacked. And, and I just, I just find that very interesting. God, God is, you know, he lives in the heavens. You know, the temple is, the temple is just a tool in his greater plan Mm. that he's willing to break apart when, when need be. Um, yeah. And so, like like, like
0: Joash said, um, you're going to do this, and it's not going to end well. And it does uh, happen that way. And one of the humbling things I found in this is, to this point, you have Judah and Israel clearly not together. I mean, they're a divided kingdom. Mm-hmm. But you don't—is this the first time? I think it is. And, and this is something um, for you, Pastor, or for others— is there another time where they rebattle battle each other and then one takes over the other to this point? I don't, I don't think there is, but any, do you know?
1: Yeah. I'm not going to say authoritatively. Cause I feel like there were, it kind of went back and forth. I think there were times when, when maybe one was, yeah, I don't know. I don't uh, know.
0: We'll have to we'll have to once again maybe research that and answer it at a, a future date. But it is something that definitely it wasn't common. It wasn't like every other day they're like fighting each other because uh, they're dealing with their own stuff. They're worried about Syria. They're worried about Moa. Right. Um, but it doesn't right. seem like they're really going after each other as much for whatever reason that might be. Um, they got problems, no doubt about it. And Syria will come in later, and um, Gath, and and just different situations. But here it's just a. A blatant head-to-head battle, and it does not end well, and everything is taken out. Um, and just a blatant uh, disregard, obviously, and a problem of faith, I would say, those first three commandments, as you said so well to this point. Other yeah. thoughts you have on these verses?
1: No, I'm uh, I struck by the amount of time God spent on focusing on, on Israel, mm-hmm. northern kingdom, because you'd think that once they severed themselves off from the temple from Judah, that that would kind of be it for Northern Israel. But yet there's, there's certain hints that I, I think Northern Israel in a, in a sense kind of prepares the way for, um, for, for the Gentiles, for, for our understanding of the Gent. You know, when, when you have a people that are kind of like, Hey, you're not part of the Jews anymore. And God's got kind of, cause that was the land of the Samaritans. I mean, that, that ultimately became right. the land of the Samaritans. And one of the big issues and and this is the ministry of Elijah and Elisha or or Elijah was that, you know, right. The big problem was that to call upon the name of the Lord, you had to be in Judah. You had to be in Jerusalem because that's where the temple was. and That's where the Lord said, I will put my name in Jerusalem. Well, what does Elijah do? He has a battle with the God with battle with Baal up in the Northern kingdom. And he's calling on the name of the Lord at a place away from Jerusalem. So I think Elijah lays down the foundation for this idea that there can be a religiosity separate from Jerusalem that, that is legitimate, that's centered on the name of the Lord. And I think ultimately that paves the way for the church, where, you know, yesterday we called upon the name of the Lord and, and the Lord is present. Um, and so I, I find that interesting about why the Lord still even deals with Israel, knowing that they're going to fall away from him, knowing that they've rebelled against them, yet yet he's sending Elijah. Elijah up there, Amos, Hosea, uh, Jonah, they all their work in the northern kingdom. That so is I I, don't know, I just find that in Israel.
0: Yeah, and, and much of Elisha's work, you have Naaman, obviously, was a, was a part of this yeah. too, a Syrian um the mm-hmm. the amount of work that goes into boy yeah now my now my mind is running a mile a minute not worried about the names <laughs> as much because i got those wrong anyways um but you see all this the 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 siege in syria Hazael is is mentioned so much and you look at the land and what god is doing outside of jerusalem it's already evident right. that this would be a um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth type of acts yeah. of the world. This is, this is fascinating. Yeah.
1: Wow. Uh,
0: oh, you should, to
1: Nineveh. yeah, right. To Nineveh to, Nineveh yeah.
0: Too. To Nineveh. Yeah. You should write a book on this. I think you should just write, <laughs> write another book. Just get this hashed out. No big deal. You're not busy or anything. So, <laughs> yeah, <really. laughs> so this is a, a great reminder for us. One of, of one, listen to God. I think that's a good a good re- reality here. And that uh, in, in repentance, I mean, that's what we see over and over again, that mm-hmm. we are never far away from basically every being, everything being taken from us and because of a lack of faith. And so that's where we are um, in verse 14. So anything else before we move yep. on? No. Let's keep going. Verse 15, we'll go through 22. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoash that he did and his might and how he fought with Amaziah, king of Judah, are they they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jehoash slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria with the kings of Israel. And Jeroboam, his son, reigned in his place. Amaziah, the the son of Jehoash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoash, son of Joahaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the deeds of Amaziah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem, and he fled to Lachish. But they sent him after him to Lachish and put him to death there. And they brought him on horses, and he was buried in Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. And all the people of Judah took Ahaziah of 16 years old and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Now here we just kind of, I see, you know, the normal tragic, uh, you know, we're never going to outlive this living thing kind of reality of these kings. Um, But what's happening here? There's a number of different moving parts. Where do you want to start?
1: Well, I I, I got caught up on the, uh, I mean, yeah, the, Verses just kind of are the, are the typical like so and so died and so and so replaced him. He lived this many years and it's like, but the thing that really stuck with me was this whole phrase with his fathers, mm-hmm. and that, that just got me. This is one of my my little pet topics, but um, it teaches the resurrection. Okay, uh-huh. so with his fathers is is really talking about Abraham's bosom. Abraham's bosom is the land of Israel, and, it, and it's very important where you're lair, where you're buried. But what I find very interesting about this language here is he's with his fathers. In other words, the identity of the person who passed away is located in the body of the buried one. Uh, and it's the same thing going on when, when Jesus goes up to the young man, the, the son of the widow who had died, and he looks at the corpse laying there being carried outside of town and says, Young man, I say to you, arise. In other words, we, our, our identity is located in our bodies, in our physical cells. And where we're buried, and it, it's exactly as Jesus says: is, is we're we're not dead; we're sleeping. Right. So it's, it's not like it's not like Amaziah, you know, his body was just a carcass and, and just a, just a, a cloak that he threw away, and then his spirit floated off somewhere else. But that his he is with his fathers, meaning where their bodies are, meaning one day these bodies are going to rise up from the dead. And and so I think this teaches the resurrection here, but beyond that, that's uh, um, yeah the rest of this I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you know, and that's a, that's a great point of the physicalness of when someone dies that you bury them, and that's where they are. Um, and 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 but we'll talk a lot of times. Oh, they're still looking over me or something along those lines, and really? the language is is helpful in the sense of that they're with the Lord, if you think of it that way. But we tend to then say, well, that body that's buried, that's not really them. It's them with the Lord as opposed to that connection and waiting for that connection to come again with the final resurrection. I think that's a very, very important because so, sometimes we'll just talk about New Testament language in that and go wow you know it's mm-hmm. more of you know talk about that but here very clearly and I tell you what what every chapter has this I mean every every chapter yes. has three or four of these situations and it almost never changes besides it does say in um oh shoot with the kings of Israel in verse 16 it doesn't say fathers it says with the kings of Israel which I don't think is a is a major issue there but it just shows you um uh, some, you know, that, that, that's definitely a physical reality of where they are currently. So it's, yeah, that's good. Um, what I find interesting verse 19, yeah. that there's a, another conspiracy against a King
1: <laughs> and yeah. it's just yeah. kind of
0: like, wow, there's all this underhanded stuff. It's not just the Kings doing underhanded stuff. It's the people and the conspiracies that put them to death and, um, sometimes it feels like you know, even if they're really trying to be faithful, there still ends up being a conspiracy against them. Any thoughts on that, and how that relates to it us? It makes
1: me wonder what you know. I was reading some of the commentaries and trying to figure out, well, why did they do this? And one of the theories is is that they were upset what he had done to you know, because when he when he attacked Edom, um, he hired all these, he had all these mercenaries, like a hundred thousand mercenaries from from Israel, and many uh-huh. reneged on his promise, so they they lost money and plunder and so some people are, think that it was that move that caused him. some people think they they conspired to kill him because he he worshiped the false gods that resulted in what happened in jerusalem but you know it doesn't bottom line is it doesn't tell us so we don't know but yeah definitely a lot of intrigue like i say i mean you read the kings and there are some fascinating characters and it, it's like it's like reading a soap opera going
0: on. It is. Yeah. And that's why it can be very easily. And this is why I want to make sure that we wrap these wrap this up with grace because it, it can be very easy to read this. With a very pessimistic or bitter tone, mm-hmm. um, and so it's good for us. It, it's comforting and earthy in the sense of, okay, there's nothing new. Like when we see something, we shouldn't be shocked in the sense of uh, as if this is the first time this has ever happened. But also, we do need some grace. We need some. We need some a uh, uh, love. We need some forgiveness uh, in our Lord Jesus, and we'll get to that. But um, we'll read. The, we'll read the rest. Are we ready for the last verses here, Pastor? Here, here. Let's do it. Verses twenty three till the end of chapter fourteen. In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned forty one years. And he did what was evil in the sight of Yahweh. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebometh, Leb Hamath, as far as the sea of Arabah, according to the word of Yahweh, the, the God of Israel, which he spoke by the servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from gath Hepher. For, for Yahweh saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, there was none to help Israel. But Yahweh had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did and his might, how he fought and how he restored Damascus and Hamath to Judah and Israel. And they are not written in the book of Chronicles, the kings of Israel. And Jeroboam slept with his fathers, the kings of Israel, and Zechariah, his son, reigned in his place. So once again, I mean, part of this is very confusing, but definitely has a unique tone. We see Jonah. Mm
1: -hmm. um,
0: We see the Lord being compassionate with them. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, he he saw things were very bitter for his people, so he was patient with them, saved them. Um, And then we see the end of Jeroboam. Very little to do with Jeroboam here in the scriptures. But uh, what are your thoughts on these verses?
1: Well, Jeroboam himself was a very capable king. He was the one that had a lot of success, brought a lot of luxury and wealth to northern Israel. But, but, you know, that's not how the Lord looks at things. The Lord looks at it, and he he continues the sin of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Mm -hmm. And and whenever I teach this, I put it this way. as All the kings of northern Israel, this is a major theme in the entire Old Testament. You know, you take all the histories of of Samuel King's Chronicles, and one of the big themes is that the entire northern kingdom went away into exile from by Assyria, and the reason is is because they did not depart from Jeroboam son of Nebat. This mm-hmm. is a pretty big sin. Well, what exactly was the sin of Jeroboam son of Nebat? His sin was that he set up the worship forms of God in Dan and Bethel, and he and if you look at the chapter, I forget where it is in uh, first. I, can say, oh, I can't remember, 1 Kings 13 or something, I, I can't remember where, but you look at the chapter, it says Jeroboam set up his own places of worship, and his own feast days, and his own priesthood, and what I, I use this, this example to explain the difference between false worship and idolatry. Idolatry is when you worship an actual other god, like Zeus or, or whatever, Asherah, you worship another god. False worship is when you worship the true God by forms that he has not established. Mm. So God says, you're going to go to the temple. You're going to worship on these feast days. And these priests from the Levites are going to be my priests. Jeroboam says, once the kingdom is split and he doesn't want everybody going down to Jerusalem, he says, well, I'll make my own feast days, my own temple and my own means of grace, essentially. And that becomes the sin that causes Israel to be lost in history. So I use this as a tale to say, don't anybody tell me that the forms of worship aren't important. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> you know, you yeah. can be Jehu. Je, Jehu was a zealous person for the Lord and slew and everybody, you know. But even him, he didn't depart from the sins of Jeroboam, son of, of Naboth. So that, that's pretty important stuff there.
0: That is. And I like how you make that distinction. I want you to say it one more time, is the false worship? Um, is when you worship God, but you do it in a way that he did not ordain, basically. Right. right? And what was the other one you yeah, said? So,
1: so right. idolatry. Idolatry. Is, is just blatant worship of a God that you're projecting from your own desires. So you, you know, it might be war, it might be reason, it might be, you know, all the classic gods. It's, it's all these things we project from our own psychological dysfunction based on original sin in the fall. We, we project these gods and we worship them and, Give them divine significance. False worship is when we take the the biblical God, you know Yahweh, the God of Scripture, who revealed Himself. But and this is exactly what Aaron did in the in the in the wilderness wandering. This is the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. It's the same God, but they're worshiping it through these golden calves, and that's false worship. That's a bit of a that's a distinction. I would say the parallel today is when people will worship the God of Scripture. But, for instance, we know that Christ has ordained Holy Communion and Holy Baptism and, and certain means of grace and ways by which we worship Him. When people substitute those things for maybe things that come from the neighboring culture, like, oh, I'd prefer to have a, a rock and roll band connect me to God than the sacrament. And, well, that that's, you're claiming to worship the true God, but actually you're doing it through a form that the Lord has not instituted. And that's false worship. So that's the sin of northern Israel.
0: As we look at these things, we could probably talk for another hour, but Pastor, our time is up. Pastor Peter Burfine, <laughs> pastor of Agnus Dei Lutheran Church in Marshall and our Savior Lutheran Church in Union City, Michigan, bringing us God's strong word from Second Kings chapter 14. Pastor Burfine, thank you again for being our guest.
1: Thank you so much for having me again.
0: Saints of our Lord, repent and believe. Worship the true God. We see a situation where um, the king didn't believe in the true God in the way that he should, and he went face to face, and he lost. And we pray that our Lord, as he was compassionate and faithful to his people, would be the same to us, that we are ones not for partial restoration, but for complete restoration by the cross, for our complete forgiveness and our complete salvation in Christ alone. I'm your host, Brady and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.